Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eighth wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Very excited about the Sun Belt. We started the Sun Belt uh, back in '76, and I'm I'm very proud of what has transpired through the years. You know, while other conferences have been breaking up, our conference has become stronger. Edit that out, Dusty. It's time for another Sun Belt. Fun Belt podcast. It's great to be back with the boys uh, after a couple weeks off and spending a whole lot of money in Orlando, Florida. Dusty uh, Thibodeau of the Warhawk Report and uh, Jeremy Harper, Ben Moore, uh, of course, Panda.com, Jeremy Harper of HowRazor.com. I apologize, Jeremy. Don't want to, don't want to. Uh, okay. All right. Plug in there. But, uh, but yeah, man, glad, glad to be back with you guys. Happy New Year. I think you can still say that, right? Because it's the first time that I've seen you in 2022 but uh, it is a basketball centric uh start today and we're going to talk a lot of hoops which i love and uh then we then we have a very special actually multiple very special guests which is awesome uh so i'm excited to come back with a bang man what's up boys how we doing sitting on the bottom of the standings in both the men's and women's basketball that's oh oh man that's too bad you know not all of us are sitting at the bottom of the standings, some of us are actually doing fairly well. Well, that's just because you alphabetize the teams. No, no, I think it might might be having something to do with the excellence of playing super good basketball, coupled with uh, the sheer brilliance of a of a uh, of a well educated fan base. Uh, I, I I don't want to give away too much about who's leading the Sun Belt in basketball, but it is Arkansas State. And uh, we're pretty excited about that here. And I, I promise I won't be too pompous about it. Let's just talk about basketball today and just have kind of an even keel sort of discussion without any like a hoopla or hyperbole or, 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 you know, just big, massive predictions for Arkansas State. Let's, let's just, you and I, we all be friends and just go ahead and, and talk about Sunbelt basketball as if we were all equal. He's drinking out of his golden chalice pinky out. <laughs> it's amazing to see him not gloat, um, but gloat at the same time. That was, that was great. But uh, no, it was, uh, it was like the reverse psychology uh, friends. You don't have video and he's, he's winking a plenty. I, I'm not going to talk about Arkansas state and how awesome they are. I'm not going to say that. And what a great start they are. They're sparkling nine and one home record and four and one in the league. Yeah. I'm not, it's not for me. 
to brag about the rebels. It's, it's, it's just for me to report the state of the Sun Belt, whether it's Georgia State winless in Sun Belt play or ULM coming off some devastating losses to the Alabama team. I, you know what? Those are those. It doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is Sun Belt excellence, not necessarily that the Red Wolves are thirteen and four, but uh, that everybody's doing well. You know, anybody can win the Sun Belt, even even Georgia State. No, they can't. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Ben. It's not going to happen. They they will struggle to fill their eighty percent and will limp into Pensacola as the eighteenth seed out of a 12-team league. What is happening yeah. to Georgia State? Maybe you can give us some, some some idea. We know a little bit what's going on with ULM, but we need to know right now what's going on with the Panthers. Uh, this team can't score. Um, and that's the one, the biggest thing that I've, that I've really seen uh, with so much expectations coming back with so many key players back, essentially the same team um, back from, you know, 2020, 2021, uh, um, adding an, an all, all Sun Belt, uh, you know, level performer and Nelson Phillips off the bench. Um, the, the team has just uh, really, you know, they're three and nine against Division One teams, which is staggering. Uh, I, I think against those same Division One teams, they're averaging 63 points a game. And the game of college basketball, if you can't put the ball in the basket, you, you're not scoring 65, 70 points a game. Uh, you, you really don't have a shot. Uh, defensively, this team has improved. Uh, it's not necessarily showing in the standings, but offensively, they're, they're a grease fire. You, you have four seniors on this team uh, who are not playing well at home, which that's that's been the thing that uh, has been staggering when folks come to Atlanta, especially in the sport. You know, uh, they were seeing losses overwhelmingly. Uh, this team is not good at home. Uh, they're even worse on the road. And I, I have prepared people. It started really about two weeks ago saying, um, you know, this may be the worst Georgia State team in more than a decade because uh, the team, the guys are not playing well. Obviously, they had their COVID pause around the first of the year and, and uh, you know, lost an, a heartbreaker overtime game to Georgia Tech where they missed 16 straight shots uh, in regulation and, and OT. And that was really been, you know, the issue the last, uh, you know, Thursday, Saturday games. Um, you know, there this past weekend against Coastal and App State. Both of them were close. Both of them had opportunities to win, and it was just the late game mistakes by your senior guards, uh, you know, pulling the ball away, dribbling it out of bounds off your own foot, uh, things that you would not expect from, from this team and this program, which has, has obviously had really, really high expectations. And, and this is year three for Coach Lanier as well. So there's a lot of folks and a lot of chatter within the fan base that are not real happy in Atlanta right now, and especially going into a new arena next season. Yeah. Did we finally see a healthy South Alabama team this weekend as they swept the Louisiana schools? Yeah. You know, uh, they've been missing some guys, and and we kind of were shocked that it was Georgia's, uh, Georgia State and South Alabama, and at the time, Texas State, too. All three programs were struggling early in conference play. What puzzled uh, many of us the most on that was South Alabama because they look so good uh, and out of conference. And I guess I think they had some COVID problems. Is that right, Tibbs? Yeah, they they've, had some COVID had problems. The I think Ben can attest to this. When your team has COVID problems, it, once the team is back on the bench and ready to play, they're still not healthy. They're still getting over COVID. They're still give, getting over missing that time uh, on the practice floor and then missing that time in game time situations. 
So it seemed to me like South Alabama just had to sort of get over that. But they certainly got over it pretty well against the Louisiana schools. Were you able to take a look at some of that, Tibbs? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I, I, I did watch it. Uh, South Alabama game was a tell of two halves. ULM really dominated the first half, second half. Yes. Richie Raleigh made the adjustments going to the 2-3 zone, and ULM made no adjustments and just were unable to really ball in the basket. And if you don't score, you don't win. Now, is ULM still suffering from its own sort of health issues too? Are you still a little shorthanded? No, they're they're fairly healthy. I think it's kind of like what you said, though. Even on the tail end, once you are deemed cleared, you're not necessarily healthy or in shape and, and, and ready to go. So I think that's kind of what we saw for the ULM side. I think, though, that, that they have just a rough go this year. I mean, they're, they're fighting to try to get in the middle of the pack because I think that's where you want to be for down the stretch when the seeding comes out for Pensacola. But for right now, they, they are definitely on the struggle bus. Maybe not as bad as Georgia Southern, Georgia State, but they're definitely sliding. So just of note, I don't know how much this is worth. Uh, ben, you may have a clearer, broader understanding of it than, than I do. But South Alabama has reclaimed or not or has claimed the net lead in the Sun Belt, which doesn't mean a whole lot because we're still uh, above, everybody's still above 100. But it, they did take over for Texas State, who uh, had a, played a really good game against Arkansas State. But what really surprised me. Uh, this this last three games has sort of been the the exposure of UTA, how they have just sort of gone from sort of a dominating surprise team in the Sun Belt to even with David Azori back, uh, ULM beat them without David Azor. Uh, David Azor came back for Little Rock and for Arkansas State and was still not enough to beat any of the Arkansas teams. Was UATA a flash in the pan, or was it just a tough road trip? They they caught some guys. You know, they were coming off the COVID pause. You know, as, as you guys kind of mentioned before, and and you know, a, a key key indicator and a key note. You know, the Sun Belt did shift their you know fully vaccinated um, you know policy recently. Um, so just to kind of give you guys a heads up, especially in basketball, as we know we're in the Thursday Saturday for men's hoops specifically. Uh, if you basically test positive or have an exposure opportunity, you're five days out and essentially you're away from all basketball activities. You're, you're sitting in your dorm essentially. So there's no practice, there's no games. And the tough part about it, especially talking to coaches and even talking to players, you know, it, it's such a rhythm game, right? You want to get into the gym every day. You want to get in and play games every couple of days. Um, and, and I think that's the difficult part about it is, is UTA had an opportunity, especially on the front end. I think they caught South Alabama um, specifically a little short uh, yeah. on the front. And then, um, you know, they, they, you know, then have kind of backslid a little bit. And, and to our point overall, I mean, we don't know who's great. We don't know who's good. Um, I think it'll kind of play out. I'm very interested. You know, th- this week is the rivalry turn for South Alabama. They, they go, and they play host Troy, and then they go back to Troy on the weekend. Um, that's that's two enormous games for the Jags because if you drop both of them, you're you're, you're falling way down. Then again, conversely, if you're if you're able to knock off your rival and, and kind of put your 
some distance there, um, they could be sitting at the top, close to the top of the league. So uh, very interested in that game. And really the next week and a half to two weeks are going to be really, really fun to watch across the league. My next question, and it goes to Tibbs too, because he got to see him firsthand. Is Troy for real? I watched them a little bit last night against uh, Louisiana. They look like a very fast, aggressive team. They ended up dropping one to the Cajuns. But what do you think of them, Tibbs? Are they a for real contender in the uh, Sun Belt this year? I have not seen Troy in person, but I do like the Trojans. I think they're playing a little over their heads. I think that they are not where they expected to be this year. And, and by that, I mean they're actually ahead of where the expectations were. But I think you're getting a glimpse of what the future of Troy basketball looks like under Scott Cross. I, I think that they are going to be one of the hotter teams of the league. I think we all agree. Scott Cross elevates a team no matter who's on his roster. And when we interviewed Scott Cross earlier in the year, uh, you know, he was pretty, pretty humble about the team. But dang, that team looks pretty damn good. Have you got to see him, Ben? Uh, just just catching box scores and some highlights. Um, I haven't seen them live yet as well. Um, they do play very good defense. Um, you know, I, I know. I, I think it was it was surprising Scott Cross when he got shown the door with UTA a couple of years ago, and, and the fact that he was you know hired back within the league. You knew you knew he was going to be solid. You, you knew Troy was going to have a good track to run on just because of how solid a coach he was, um, how he built it there in Arlington. Um, you know, his teams are, are are well coached. You know, they they execute. You know, they they go out there. They're not going to be overly flashy. I, I don't believe they're, they're even at the top of the league in scoring, uh, but one of, one of the best defensive teams in the league and, and defense will travel as we know. So um, I think they've been very, um, you know, impressive so far. I'm interested to see once they kind of make the turn and, and take that, you know, um, you know, top of the league look, you know, going and playing in Arkansas state at, at, at coastal, um, you know, that's, that's a big turn for them to see as well as what I just talked about with the South Alabama. If you can split with South Alabama, I think you, they probably should feel pretty good about that. I still think the surprise team so far, the Mountaineers, sitting <laughs> at six and two, second place. You know what? Here's the thing about that, Dusty, is that they're the defending champions, right? You know, they, they but come we, in. we even have said they are, they are nothing to be worried about. Yeah. Don't worry about them. That was a fluke last year. They're, they're good. They're flying yeah. under the radar with the Georgia sweep this past weekend. I'll, 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 you know what? Uh, I'll give that to you. I never even gave Appalachian state much thought going into the preseason. And I often refer to them as the Sunbelt tournament champion, not necessarily the Sunbelt champion. Cause I really felt like that honor belonged to some other, some other programs, but this team doesn't seem to, to, uh, Care what you think. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what to think about them. I haven't seen them in action. All I know is that they keep racking up these wins. In fact, I feel like they have more wins than anybody right now at six and two. It seems like they played a complete schedule. Uh, and every time I feel like they're about to be, come up to a team that's going to give them trouble, they don't seem to have trouble with that team. So Arkansas State goes and visits uh, visits them this week. Uh, that should be a fun, exciting matchup. But damn, I'm worried about these guys because I don't know anything about them. On the women's side, we, we always said that it was the Troy Trojans league to lose. And so far, they've lost it. They've dropped two straight as they fell to Little Rock. Crazy. And now Little Rock and App State are sitting atop the women's standings. 
Sunbelt entropy. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. I, th- I think the biggest stat to take away from the women's side, though, it's really a top versus the bottom. Troy sits at fourth place right now or a tie for third. They are plus 11 on the scoring margin. ULM that is winless, negative 19. Yeah, that seems to that seems to give you some uh, implication as to who's doing well and who's doing poorly in the Sun Belt for the ladies. That's absolutely true. Where's Georgia State in that? Right, they're 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 down the bottom uh, along with the uh, the the Warhawks from Monroe. What is happening to the Warhawks and the Panthers? They can't get it done on the men's side or the women's side. And and, and uh, you would think or you would say. All right, this is just a bad year for the Warhawks. They've only won one conference game in each of the past four seasons. We always talk about the legend of the Chief on the bayou from when they were the Indians, Chief Brave Spirit. I think the Chief's a little pissed and and has just brought his vengeance out on basketball of the Warhawks. I think football, you know, they were okay at four wins, way better than what we expected. But right now, the men and women, I mean, he is pissed and and all over FAU and Coliseum and, and unleashing the wrath. Yeah, and I don't think the ULM, at least on the men's side, I don't feel like they're playing bad basketball. I feel like they just, you know, especially against South Alabama, man, I thought that was going to be a nice little upset there. But uh, as far as the women are going, it, it, it seems like you're right that it is a little uh, half-heavy. But it, doesn't it always seem that way with women's basketball in the Sun Belt? It always feels like there's only one or two really good teams. And sometimes it's the Cajuns, and sometimes it's Troy. Arkansas State had a little run there, but never really got it together. Uh, it doesn't feel like we've ever really had just massively good women's basketball in the Sun Belt. Am I wrong about this? Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. Oh, yes. I was just doing what I was told. <laughs> then you're supposed to do some 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 uh, some proof points about why I'm wrong. That's how that works. The women's sports overall. I mean, I feel like in soccer, in softball, women's basketball, it's kind of the same players, different game year after year after year. Uh, we we don't hear it as much, obviously, with the transfer portal as we focus on football and, and men's basketball. But it, it exists in the women's game as well. Um, you have uh, folks that you know transfer constantly if they are good. And I know Georgia State lost one of their power forwards to Oregon, for example. So she's out and going to play in, in Pac-12 basically uh, for her super senior season. Um, you know, it, would that make a significant difference? Yeah, I mean, she was a double double machine for the Panthers basically, and Taylor Hoosen Dove. So she's out playing in Pac-12 uh, land out there in, in Phil Knight country. So um, that does make a difference. Obviously, you got to bring good players in. You got to keep them happy, and, and you got to kind of string things together with these classes. But, um, you know, we have seen it. It's been very top-heavy, as I think certainly the last four, five, six years that I can remember. Uh, only a handful of teams have, have really dominated, um, you know, in, in the regular season and in the tournament. So let me ask you this. I, at, at Arkansas State, we, we have our, our, our feelings towards women's basketball. We want the team to win. But we also, you know, want to be entertained by the team and, and, and so forth. What is the views of women's basketball at ULM and Georgia State? Is it is it always a, a work in progress, or is it like, no, we, we need a, this needs to be championship teams? What is the what are the thoughts around campus for those teams? Depends on who you ask. The old guard were around when ULM had their final four runs, had uh, the All American EJ Lee. There's the expectation to be competitive and to win. 
the new guard, I don't think really care too, too much about women's basketball because they've only known them being as the bottom dweller of the league. Yeah, I think the, the toughest part, ultimately, uh, Georgia State, you know, what's wild, 15, 18 years ago uh, was a very good team. They went to four straight NCAA, t- uh, NCAA tournaments, uh, usually grabbing a 16 or a 15 seed. Um, but as of late, especially in the Sun Belt, uh, they haven't been competitive. They, they haven't been, they've, you know, e- either not made the tournament when the you know, tournament split down. Uh, if they did make the tournament, it was a short stay. Uh, you've had coaching transition. Um, you know, the, the, the recruiting has been uh, one where it kind of really hasn't inspired a lot. We know the state of Georgia is extremely strong for men's and women's basketball. Uh, but it, ultimately, these kids want to go somewhere where they're going to play and where they're going to win. And that's uh, not something that we've seen at GSU in quite a while. And uh, something that's, you know, the, the coaching staff's going to have to do, but there's, you know, t- attendance wise is pretty low. Interest is pretty low. Uh, we, we don't see a whole lot of, a um, lot of folks going to games, um, you know, specifically other than rivalry games, Georgia state did beat their rival Georgia Southern uh, yesterday on a, on a game winning shot. So that was certainly exciting. And, a, you know, um, you know, a, a great, you know, great Saturday afternoon, um, you know, at the sports arena, but uh, it just, you need more of that to build and, and you got to grow that way in order to, to, to gain sustained interest. Yeah. For Arkansas state women's basketball, especially in the uh, mid teens, like the mid 2010s, uh, 2014, 15, 16, that time they had good teams. Uh, they didn't make them all the way, but they were always very competitive. And it was some, almost like a healing ball for fans at Arkansas state because the, the men's team wouldn't be good. And you'd say, at least we've got the women's team. At least we've got a winner here to watch. So it's always hard when the – it's been hard for the last few years for Arkansas State because the women's team hasn't been that good. Now we've got a new interim coach that's providing some energy. They dropped two straight on the road, but it was like against Troy and against uh, South Alabama, which South Alabama isn't that good this year. But Troy certainly is. And uh, it's it's been nice to have a women's team to root for, a women's team to finally go, okay, this is – this is a team that you can get behind, but yeah, when you don't have a women's women's team to get behind, it's it's tough to 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 make it to the the stadium and watch those games. So while we're talking basketball, the news finally broke that we knew was coming down all along. UTA Little Rock leaving the Sun Belt. UTA going to the WAC. Little yeah. Rock, I believe they were going to the Valley. Is that correct? Ohio Valley, yes. What are your thoughts there on on that news finally becoming official? Uh, my first thought is that yeah, I'm going to miss those guys. You know, I'm going to miss the Mavericks. I'm going to miss the Trojans. Uh, it does feel like, though, it's a new era in the Sun Belt with, with full programs being indoctrinated into the Sun Belt, and there just wasn't any room. In fact, I put out a tweet about uh, how uh, uh, UT, UT Arlington and UL and, and University of Little Rock, University of Arkansas at Little Rock were uh, sort of gently nudged out of the Sun Belt. And I got a couple of responses saying, no, we weren't gently nudged. We were, we, it was pretty much a big Dear John letter given to us. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm going to miss these guys, but it was also sort of a weird pairing for us. And I, I, I think the WAC and the Ohio Valley got two really or got really good uh, basketball teams and I think they'll do pretty well yeah I, I agree with Jeremy's overall sentiment and I will a uh, little plug here so October the 19th uh, posted something about why 
Georgia State was staying in the Sun Belt uh, for a variety of reasons, their leadership and their decisions, and uh, did drop the uh, the Nuggets in there to say, hey, uh, yes, UTA and Little Rock are headed out and are looking elsewhere. Uh, wasn't uh, wasn't you know breaking news necessarily? I believe Little Rock and, and Texas Arlington had both announced that they had were going to hire an outside firm to take a look at where they were going uh, for conference purposes. Uh, you don't do that if you're going to stay. Um, and ultimately, that's what they were looking to do, uh, that they weren't certainly gently nudged, as you mentioned. Uh, they were shoved out. They were saying, hey, you need to go find a home, and it's probably a good idea for you to do it. Uh, we certainly saw that a couple of years ago with Idaho, Mexico State. They had signed um, that contract, as, as former Commissioner Benson uh, let us know. You know, hey, they, they, their contract was up. They were going to move on. Um, they, you know, you had – UTA and uh, Little Rock were both, you know, in the league getting their share of of Sun Belt winnings. Basically, there getting their share for football and, and basketball. And um, you know, this was a decision they want to obviously solidify the all sports. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, you, you, you know, UTA was always one of the better arenas. At not having football, you know, we knew where their their bread was buttered. Basically, there with basketball and and uh, Little Rock has has been in the league and. And obviously been very dominant in, in the Sun Belt if you go back 25, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, I actually had a brief conversation with the uh, chancellor at UA Little Rock. And uh, I kind of thought that she would put a sort of positive spin on going to the Ohio Valley. But I got the impression just from sp- talking to her uh, that they weren't very happy about their unceremonious uh, 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 departure from the Sun Belt, she made a point to say, oh yeah, we're original member, been here 30 years. And uh, yeah, it's not, it was a bit of an inglorious end uh, for both of these programs. And I I wish there was a more dignified way for those two two programs to leave. Uh, But in the end, I think it's gonna be the best for everybody involved. We're pleased to be uh, to have a distinguished guest with us, uh, the the athletic director of Georgia Southern University, uh, Jared Binko, uh, joining the Fun Belt podcast for the first time. Uh, thanks for jumping on board uh, from from the uh, from, from spacious uh, somewhere around Statesboro, I would assume. Right? How, how are we doing this evening? Good, man. I appreciate it. I, I'd use the word distinguished loosely, so I uh, I appreciate it. So <laughs> we were talking a little. Off air, just kind of about your your background specifically, kind of the internal, external as well. Uh, and I was fascinated by that. You know, I'm always interested how folks become athletic directors, how, how you know, how, how folks get that road. Um, you know, you have many, many people that want to be at the top of the food chain, if you will. Um, I've, I've talked to Charlie Cobb about it. You know, he says uh, he's, he's kind of more of a glorified uh, HR director. Uh, in, in some facets of his job, uh, just kind of managing people and managing staffs and things like that. What was what was kind of your path? You mentioned uh, off the air about uh, your time in Athens, and certainly that that was yeah. that was interesting knowing those folks. No, I got a lot of respect for Charlie. He he always he always is a straight shooter. So I always appreciate. There's there's a lot of personnel pieces. Obviously, a, a huge part of our jobs. But no, I um I started in Athens in communications and wanted to get in the business side and came up in the business route at four different SEC schools, um, UGA. Arkansas, Auburn, Mississippi State, and uh, I've had an co- opportunity to come back to Georgia Southern. I always tell people, you know, there's really there was a there was a one pathway. Someone write a book about it, probably sell a lot of copies because when you write, uh, excuse me, when you meet with a lot of student athletes or students, you know, as a matter of fact, at Georgia Southern that want to be ads, you know, there's really not a a, a, a wrong and a, and a right way to do it per se. I mean, really, there's a lot of different channels and a lot of different lanes. And I always tell people it's kind of like being on 85 in Atlanta. And there's seven, eight lanes at some point, and they all converged 
at some point in one or two lanes. And so you've got to be looked at as one of the best in your respected fields to, to be given consideration. And someone told me that early and it kind of made it really clear to me that I need to focus on one, where I'm at, where my feet are, but two, be considered one of the best finance people or business people in the country. And, and only by doing that would I have a chance to be an AD. So I, I think that's really important. Jared, I don't want to dance around the topic. I just need to know right now, how did Clay Helton, how did you land Clay Helton? How did that happen? What was the process? No, you know, it's, it's interesting. And that's a great question, Jeremy. I'll get that a lot. One, you know, it's, we're very, very fortunate, obviously, you know, to, to have Clay here one. I mean, he's already been exceeding my expectations. Um, you know, when we made the change, and I think I mentioned this on, on different interviews, we, we kind of knew this was the direction we're going. Um, obviously, going into the year, we knew it was going to – we had some some opportunities to really be successful, but also some potential challenges and bumps in the road. Obviously, made the decision, and um, anytime you make a decision, Jeremy, and, and I'm sure you all can also appreciate, you don't go into it blindly. And so, uh, you're always keeping tasks, particularly in football, you've got to keep uh, abreast. I, I enjoy just I enjoy meeting new people, but you've got to always. I don't believe so much in a short list per se. I just try to meet as many people and form genuine relationships as possible, and then ultimately see where the ducks fall. Because what is is interesting, people say, "Well, why don't you have a short list?" Well, there's always people you follow, but I mean, one coaching cycle just this year can tell you that that half your list could be gone. So, you're, so, so you're always in essence trying to say who's the next coach that if one day an opportunity came about, I would at least have like to have a conversation with. And so. You know, obviously USC moved on Clay before uh, we our job came open, and you know my thought is I'd love to talk to Clay, talk to a lot of people. I thought I ended up talking to 17 plus guys, uh, and not just a conversation for over an hour each. And when I talked to Clay early on, I didn't know if he had a legitimate interest or not, uh, but we connected. At least I think we connected in that first call, and then you know getting out early, Jeremy helped um, in many ways. Th these searches are, are really. Are really interesting to go five different directions or 500 different directions, depending on how you look at it, based on leveraging and, and obviously supply and demand. And so when this opportunity with Clay came up, we had a great conversation, circle back around to him. And I just didn't see the need to wait. Um, I thought he was a great fit for us. And so it just happened to be he could start early too. And I would tell you that that extra five or so weeks really allowed us to once solidify the roster. We haven't had hardly anybody in the portal. We Two, we had a lot of guys come back. And three, I think you see a really strong 20-person class there in December. And so um, I couldn't have drawn it up. I mean, I think that that's what, that's what the beauty and at times the irony of coaching searches is they're all different. And so this search was great. I think the, to answer your question directly, though, I think it was aligned values. Um, I think alignment to the present on down was important. And I think just like Clay, I think myself as well, I've always had kind of a chip on my shoulder about trying to um, – you know, show people that one, you can only do the job, but be good at the job. And I think Clay's got a healthy chip on his shoulder to show that he's an elite coach and have all the expectations that he will. So that my follow-up question to that is, does this mean that the triple option is dead in Statesboro <laughs> or is it alive and well? We need well, to know. You know, his, so I'll tell you, Clay's offense, we talked and, you know, it's interesting people, sometimes when you talk to him and coaches that can talk in bumper sticker, and, and Clay wasn't that. I mean, his deal was, hey, listen, ideally, right, and that'd be the operative word, ideally we're a 60% 60, 60 run, 40 pass. And we went through the process, and I'll tell you, one of the things that we looked at a little film when we talked is really that, that Ole Miss-type style of offense where you got power runs, power reads, you can get the ball in playmakers' hands, but you're stretching it vertically. And so to answer your question, uh, you know, we really haven't, if you, if you want to I, not be technical on you, Jeremy, but we haven't really run the triple since Jeff was here, Coach Munkin was here. 
And so, you know, it's been some sort of a gun option the last three coaches. And so for us, um, you know, we won't be running, you know, obviously the, the triple option per se, but I think what you have to also realize is there's, there's so much is based out of an option. What, what is an RPO? I mean, there's all types of plays and stuff that come out of options. So our, our primary offense will be a pro style, um, but I'm sure we'll have iterations and mixtures of, of various offenses in that. Especially as the offense evolves. I know that's the one uh, always thing that we, is known nationally uh, for, you know, what Georgia Southern has success, obviously, at the FCS level and then moved it forward. But uh, I just laugh because um, that's you're exactly right. That's what an RPO is. And when you see guys in motion, well, that's the third option up there. Yeah. So you have multiple teams running triple option. They just are not standing behind, uh, you know, like a Jeff Munkin or, uh, or, or, you know, watching Army and Navy go at it per, per se. Well, well, you mentioned the portal. I wanted to ask you your thoughts on that specifically. Um, it is obviously revolutionized, I, I think, football, and, and we've even seen it obviously in basketball. Um, what's kind of your take as it stands today um, where it's going potentially from an AD seat? And, uh, you know, I, I know just educating folks, uh, whether it's student athletes or coaches, you know, things that you you see or you hear, or, uh, Hey, if you were in charge, if you, if you, you had an, a say, uh, what, what to do with the transfer portal, uh, what, what would you do or, or, or what can you see uh, it, it moving, moving forward in, in 2022 and 2022? No, that's a good question, man. I'm not one of those doom and gloom guys. I mean, I think there are, there are good things about the portal. I'll start there because, um, there is, it's, it's a more efficient uh, mechanism or pathway for student athletes for whatever reason, uh, to, to look at other institutions of higher education. Now, um, I think that's in some ways it's, it's a more transparent, more open book. I think it allows student athletes, anything that helps student athletes, I'm generally going to be for, I think it allows them a, a really good conduit to, to make a potential change. Now, the flip side of that, unfortunately, I saw some stats last week, um, well over a thousand, I think it was like 1100 plus uh, football student athletes are in the portal 400 plus have found homes below. I think it's like 46, 47 percent. Don't hold me to those numbers. And then, you know, obviously, majority have not found homes. So my my biggest concern with the portal, or or the same deal, and you could say it's similar but different. It's kind of like when some people uh, declare early for the draft and they don't get drafted, so they don't find a home. In this sense, the NFL, right? Um, it's kind of the same thing. My concerns are, are five or ten years down the road. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that unfortunately when the portal didn't find a home or, or, you know, had some major delays to get there. So um, there's good and bad with it. I always say that portal taketh and giveth, um, which is true. Right. I mean, it, you know, so I would tell you, where's it going? Um, I I've always said from day one, there's a, there's a linkage or a commonality. If we look at name image likeness, what could be, it could be a show in itself. The, the topics always name image likeness. has been talked about for majority of people separate of the transfer portal. Right. And, and I think if, as we look at the evolution, as we continue to see the obviously the um, adoption of the new uh, constitution by NCAA and others, I think we have to look at these issues. They're all interlinked. Right. They're all interwoven. And that's where I think we're going relative to the NIL and the transfer portal. And I think more and more of those are going to be linked uh, closer together, not to one off uh, processes. The portal carousel, I guess you could call it, has really created a lot of issues, though, where some teams are borderline not able to fill uh, the full 85-man roster. And then with the 32 that you can sign, you're still not going to be close. You you might be able to hit the mid-70 mark. What is the fix for that? Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have the, 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 the best answer, quite honestly, Dusty, right now. I think the roster management piece is so important. And, uh, you know, we've talked to our coaches. You got to look at it a couple of different ways. One, 
you know, you still have that that window that has a finite ending of the of the COVID year, right? So you so you got a roster management based off those uh, additional counters, right? But when those expire, then you're back to obviously uh, a smaller window because in theory, you know, for when they decided, the NCAA decided that you had a five year gap or five year window, I should say, where you had five classes really for four years worth of scholarships, and so that gives you a little potentially one could argue a little bit a little bit more cushion and padding per se, but I'll tell you, it comes down to roster management. I mean, that's where, you know, Dusty, just to be frank with you, I think to your point, um, you know, I think it all comes back quite frankly to relationships. And I think that's so important. Um, I think you um, in today's, and I think it's always been important, but even more so today, having genuine relationships with student athletes that you care for them, not only on the, on the field or the court, but off the field or off the court, because uh, those relationships can, can often, um, not only uh, solidify consistency on the roster, but also potentially keep someone that's looking to transfer. And um, it's always about what's best for the student athlete. And so I do think the roster management piece, I don't have the, the, the perfect answer right now. I, I do think though that, um, you know, one, you have to prepare for all types of, you know, situations. I think most people would tell you, Hey, you can't have enough healthy quarterbacks or enough healthy offensive linemen or defense, whatever the case. Um, and that's one way to do it is just continue to stock your, you know, your walk on program and there's ways to potentially, make sure that you're in the portal and you're filling holes as needed. I still come back to it. The, the best answer is going to be genuine relationships because I just think it's harder. It's harder as a, as a, as a, you know, former student, obviously like all of us were, it's hard as a student when people, um, you know, invest in you and are a mentor for you to, to, to lead that university, you're going to make sure you probably have a either a better opportunity or maybe there's an educational pursuit that that school can't offer you. But I think that's where, I would just share with you right now. And then where it goes in the future, I'm not real sure. I mean, I think it could go six different ways from Sunday, to be honest with you. So. Well, switching gears a little bit, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what your thoughts are uh, of this exciting offseason that we have with expansion. Actually, it was an offseason, right in the middle of the football season. It just yeah. seemed to, to add an extra layer of drama throughout the whole season. What do you think about the new additions, uh, especially considering they're going to have such an impact on the Sun Belt, uh, on the Sun Belt East? Yeah, no, I think it's exciting. Um, uh, obviously, our expansion work group did a fantastic job just running. Obviously, Co uh, Commissioner Gill ran point on that. And, uh, and again, there's a, there's a, a component or a composite of current, obviously, ADs and also presidents or slash chancellors in this conference. Did a great job of one gauging interest, but, but, but two pulling the trigger when needed. So I think it's great. I, you know, the thing that's so, is so impressive with the Sun Belt and, and, and having been, as I was sharing with you earlier, just the four different SEC schools and growing up in the Southeast, the, the geographic footprint to me, I think in itself is a unique, well, attribute. There's a lot of things, but you could point that to the Sun Belt of being a pretty cool deal relative to getting back to more regional rivalries. So I think that's something that, allows itself or lends itself. Um, you know, two is, you know, I, I've said all before, I, mean, I still think, and I've said the day I got here, we're the best group of five football conference. And, you know, when you start looking at these four new additions that are coming in, uh, they only make it better, right? And, and, and so, you know, you look at the, the viewership numbers on ESPN. I mean, the, the Sun Belt prominence, not only in baseball, but obviously basketball, baseball, and others continues to increase. So I think the four schools make it, make us better. Um, you know, you can look at each of the schools. I mean, you, you've got some great basketball schools as well coming in, baseball, um, and a lot of your Olympic sports. So, overall, I think it – and they also fit that academic profile. So, I think it's a good thing. 
Um, obviously, we're, we're, we're meeting in Atlanta tomorrow to start talking about when that transition is going to be and all the derivatives from that. But overall, I think it's really good. And one last thing, too, I was sharing with people um, here recently that, you know, during the COVID year, uh, last year, of course, it's coming back a little bit, but last year in particular, that first year, we learned a lot about um, increased efficiencies and things that, that allowed us to, like a lot of schools, I think outside the box. And one of the things I think is a benefit is, and I'll give you one random example, is when you travel, let's just use a, a softball or a baseball team or anybody that has over 30 plus student athletes. When you go through an airport, you find a commercial airport, it is a huge process for baggage and, and getting people on flights on time. And if they're not on time and rebooking them on, I mean, it's, just, it's not a, it's not a fun price. Like, and even as you can imagine, I have two, two young kids. Um, I love traveling with my wife, but sometimes my boys, it's not easy traveling with an eight and six year old. Right. Well, that's just with four people. And so you imagine 30 people, all the things that come up. And so what we found was during the, the COVID um, year last year that, that we can actually provide a really good student athlete experience and, and not have those lengthy travels. And they can hop on a bus and have Wi-Fi and complete homework assignments. And I just think that there's some things that from that that allow us with this new expansion to hopefully, you know, create a, a smaller footprint for our student athletes, which I think equates to a better experience. So the rumor mill is that while you are in Atlanta, it'll become official that they'll be in beginning July 1st, 2022. With that said, how do you make those scheduling adjustments? Because your football schedule is pretty much set already for next year. Yeah, so many. But but here's what I would say. So you look at us, like, for example, I mean, I always look at from a home game standpoint, but obviously we have, you know, 12 games. We've always, you know, had an FCS, two two G5 games and a a Power 5 by game, right? So that leaves you with the eight eight conference games. And so – obviously four at home and four on the road. And so this year will probably be different for some schools, depending upon how quick the conference turns around those conference schedules. Uh, ideally it'd be great to, to market obviously a, a season ticket plan for any of the schools on the Sun Belt with those new schools factored in. And if you look at it with the East, we'll have a predominantly, you know, the newest a majority of the newest schools just because, because of the geographic location. So um, it'll be interesting to see when we get that final schedule that for us, like, Dusty, that's not going to really be so much on, on my end because I'm not having to change any of my games per se, at least at this point. It's just going to be, you know, where do, where does where does the schedule work out with a because the way if you think about from a divisional standpoint, you know, with 14 teams, you have six in your division, right? Not counting yourself, and and two other uh, schools in, in in this case, the Western Division. Now, you know, when you have the SEC as an example, I can only speak to that. You always have one permanent crossover, right? And then you'd have one rotating. From my understanding, as of a last meeting, th- those two uh, crossover games are always going to be rolling through. Uh, there's no consistency. So I think the piece that you have to figure out is, is ultimately, all right, so we've got the, the six home games, excuse me, the six home games, and, and obviously four of those will be uh, conference institutions. But also, where, where are we going on the road for the other, other four games? And that's where, you know, obviously, I, I think it's important to, 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 to keep the, the rivalries where they are preferably not have to return back to a, to a rival for two years in a row to work that out. But it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, I, I've shared with our coaches that we have to plan across all sports for the rest of the institutions that are coming into the Sun Belt, uh, particularly on the Eastern Division side, that we need to be prepared to play them next year um, until, we're, until we're notified of other, otherwise. So um, fully preparing for that, for that transition, and we'll find out more tomorrow. But I just think from out of due diligence, we need to plan on all those schools being in the conference. So, 
So I have a question to you regarding beautiful Eagle Creek. Yeah. Have you been baptized in Eagle, beautiful yeah. Eagle Creek? And is it true that it contains magical properties? Well, so I answer your first question. Um, yes, was baptized last year and being a Baptist went full immersion. Um, didn't do the sprinkle uh, as I grew up in, actually grew up in a Methodist church, but a Baptist now. So I did full, full immersion along with our basketball coach, Brian Berg. Um, as far as magical properties, I definitely think it does. Uh, I can speak to, um, you know, I, I did not get COVID last year. So maybe that, I don't know that factored in or not, not as a, uh, a bad joke, but no, I, 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 does that magical property? Sure. I mean, I think it's uh, obviously coach Russell uh, made it a, one of our many uh, traditions that he created down here. And it has um, obviously sp special reference and it's revered down here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it, it's special. In fact, I was telling Clay this week um, that we need to get him baptized, but I think he wants to wait till the, the waters warm up and they're flowing a little better. So See, now, didn't Clay tell us that he actually already did that? Was he fibbing with us or am I just inventing that? Clay was I thought, with I thought it was on his to do. It, oh, it, yeah, was, yeah. On, yeah. it was on his checklist. Yeah. It, was it, it, it wasn't time. done yet, but he, he, he had uh, a plan for it. He yeah. did. He did tell me the day they were out there. He said the waters were flowing pretty good. It would have been a good day. Of course, it was like, you know, high thirties that day. So I don't want our new coach to have hypothermia. So what is your favorite tradition that the Eagles have? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, Eagle Creek is, is pretty special um, just because I, I drive past it every, every morning on the way into the office. Um, you know, obviously when you start looking at, um, you know, coach Russell's influence um, and, and I'll tell you, I mean, I think part of the traditions too, or like we had a opportunity back in the fall to bring the Dirty Dozen, the, the original, um, really, I didn't say founders, but the, the, the individuals that really philanthropically donations of time-wise really help uh, form the program. Obviously, think about Freedom's Flight. That's a really cool tradition. Um, I just think there's so many traditions down here. It's kind of like saying like, who's your favorite child, right? I mean, I think that's a it's a hard question. I, personally, I mean, I think Beautiful Eagle Creek's right up there with me just because of uh, growing up hearing stories about it. And, and obviously, I, I drive past it every morning. And, I, and every time I drive past her, I think of Coach Russell and just the traditions here. And um, that's one of the things. And, and I share this with somebody, with someone growing up in the state. You know, Coach Russell just, you know, obviously, and I'll say that's another story of another day of how he needs to be in the football, the College Football Hall of Fame. And that's something that I feel very strong about, as do our fans. But as an impressive of a coach as he was, you got to think about, I mean, he was an incredible marketer. Um, I don't think he gets the credit for that. And also everybody that helped get this thing going. So uh, a lot of traditions in a, in a short period of time, for sure. I appreciate you jump, jumping on, man. That, that was awesome. And yeah, I, no I definitely will, will, will have to follow up and uh, see how the meetings go starting tomorrow. Yeah, I know. It's uh, we'll get a lot. I, I have, I'm, I'm optimistic. I know some people, um, would like to have information earlier. We all would. I mean, that's part of it. But I, I left our last meeting and I feel like in a good spot, just anticipating the change was coming sooner than later. Um, but I'll tell you guys, like, I'm sure like each of y'all can understand. Like, we have so much on each of our campuses to worry about. You know, a lot of this stuff is not in my hands. And I try to focus on the controllables sometimes as much as the non-controllables. So, you know, our, our focus is a lot of people have this, this off season getting it better. Good deal, guys. Listen, hey, I appreciate y'all's time. I'm glad I always hop on. I appreciate what y'all what y'all do for the for the Sun Belt. We uh, you know, we all think we, we should get more and more coverage, but I appreciate what you do because it does bring additional attention to the to the league, and I think our profile is only gonna get better. So
We do. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all lovers of the Sun Belt. I mean, obviously, yeah, we, we, we love our individual schools, but the good of the belt is the good for all of us. 100%. We heard from Georgia Southern Athletic Director Jared Binko, kind of the current state. To get to that point, though, we had to go through the building process of the Sun Belt Conference. So we've been reaching out, talking to Sunbelt Conference legends, and joining us is the legend of the Sunbelt, the 2005 Freshman of the Year, 2008 Player of the Year, over 4,000 yards. He was so good, they retired his number before he even left the school. And that is, of course, running back Terrell Fenroy from Louisiana Lafayette. Welcome in, Terrell. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Guys, let, let me tell you, he, okay. he sounds humble already. <laughs> when I met him at the, the Sunbelt Conference Championship game, he's got a T-shirt on with mm-hmm. his 32. And then when he walks past you, the back is just full of all of his credentials. And I'm like, <laughs> that dude is so badass. He can get away with doing that. And it was the best thing ever. It's, I, I, I try to stay humble and, and, and let, let the action speak for itself, but it, it, it kind of feels a little bit good just to, to boast that, you know, every once in a while. So, Tyrell, you, you came into the Sun Belt, I, I guess it was 2005 when you won the, the Sun, Belt Sun Belt Freshman Player of the Year Award and then kind of started, I don't know if you started it, but you became part of that sort of Cajun running back machinery that seems to turn out great running back after great running back after great running back. In your four years with the Cajuns, what games do you remember being the most impactful? Uh, oh, man, just 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 like you said, started off was in 2005. Uh, I was just a freshman coming in. Um, and I remember the first game we went down there to play Texas when um, – they won the national championship out there, and one of the running backs ended up going down, getting hurt. And uh, Coach Brian Jenkins come on the sideline, and he's like, "Hey, you going in?" I was like, uh, "What? <laughs> I'm going in," you know. And everything was moving so fast. So I'm like, "Okay, let, I say let let's let's do this." So I uh, went in and uh, got got rocked pretty hard a couple a couple of plays. But ever since then, it was just like that was the the the, the big game. Uh, that I can remember uh, the most was going in my freshman year playing against Texas. Seeing those bigger guys, the game, game moving at a more of a faster pace than in, than in high school. So it, w- it was pretty exciting to start off being in a bigger, a bigger stadium, biggest stadium I played in. Come, you know, first off coming from out of high school, so it was it was pretty exciting. Man. So you mentioned that coming out of high school, you're from Laplace, not too too far there from Lafayette, but really it was only the Cajuns and Old Miss that that made offers even though you had over 5,700 yards in, in, in high school, how were you missed? I mean, you're a big guy. There's no way people just missed you. Yeah, it kind of flew under the radar. Uh, like I said, one of the, the other biggest schools was Ole Miss. Uh, and kind of, I guess it worked in my favor coming out here, staying home and being able to, my family coming and be able to watch me, you know, in Lafayette. Uh, but it was the, the coaching change that I don't think a lot of people ever like really knew. It was really the coaching change that, that kind of, um, made things divert to a different uh, area and coming to Lafayette whenever Coach Cutliff got uh, got fired there and uh, Coach Edron came on. I just They just didn't show any interest. Um, and I can remember Coach uh, Rebo, who's coaching now at, uh, at Nickel State, he came, came, sat 
in my kitchen. And that's when I made a verbal commit. It's like, hey, I'm ready. I want to play. Uh, I don't want to sit. I don't want to. I don't want to register. I don't want to sit down. I say, I want to. I want to um, see what I can do to bring to the table to to take the program to the next level. And looking at back then, looking at um, the school and looking at the running back that was there and seeing that it was the leading rusher at the time was Jerry Babb, which was the quarterback. And I was like, I, I want to, I want to challenge that. I want, I want to see if I can make a difference to, to be a running back and have a running back has had to have the, you know, the, the, the leading rushing yards and not a quarterback. I remember at that Sunbelt conference championship game. Also the Cajuns won the title. There's Michael DeJorma that happened to be running past us. He was just the OC at the time and, and not head coach. And I looked at you and I, I said, how is it seeing that you were part of the rock, part of the foundation that got the program to this point? Just talk about that and, and kind of what went through your mind as you saw all that hard work that you had lead to a conference championship finally. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, just, just going back to – um, the Cajuns being able to reach the New Orleans Bowl uh, years back, uh, just to see the program take the next step, and just to to be on the battlefield with uh, with Mike and the other guys, and uh, Lamar, who's currently back now, uh, just being able to play with those guys and and set that foundation to see that you know that that kind of started the, the the transition of of a winning program and just to, to look back and say, hey, we was a part of that, you know, that that startup and to see what a program was back then to where the program is now. Uh, I love it. And it's, it's, it's even it feels even better now because now Mike is in the head spot. So I can't, you know, it's, it's, I don't know the words to say. To, to, it's, it's amazing just to see Mike in that head spot so that he he's the person who led that and started that foundation. And now he's in charge to program to even uh, a bigger level than what, it, than what it was in the past. Tyrell, we, we spoke to Jay Walker earlier in the year about uh, the Cajuns and, and where the program was going, where it was headed. And, and he, we asked him who was the Cajuns' biggest rival. And he listed like, it seemed like the entirety of the college universe. <laughs> he said, everybody wants a piece of the Cajuns. At your time with the Cajuns, who were your biggest rivals? Oh, it's Monroe. It still is. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, 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 that's my, that's my Super Bowl. Uh, that's the game every year, and uh, even last year and the years to come, that will be my game. That we have to beat Monroe. I don't care who else we play on our schedule. It's Monroe. And I'm uh, still having PTSD of his game where he averaged, I don't know, like 400 yards a touch back in uh, 2008. I forget what his legit numbers were. He, oh, it was uh, 20 carries for 297. Damn. <laughs> Including an 89-yarder. Why does Tyrell hate you so much? <laughs> and, and, and I take it personal. Like, I think it was me because I happened to be in the end zone for one of his touchdowns. And, and I, I, I was just like, bruh, come on. Yeah, it was uh, some good times. So do, are, you, are you still connected with the program? Do you still uh, uh, hang out with I try to be uh I try to go around as much as possible as I can just just to stay in the loop uh, 
and I tell um it no matter if it's uh Coach Winger or I, I told Mike, I said any just reach out. Um any input I can can and try to put in or anything I can try to do to help the program. I'm 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 all for it. Uh no matter what no matter what it what it, what it, what it is. If it's even if it's on the the law enforcement side where I'm at now currently, um, I try to help out as much as possible and try to um, be visible around there uh, to try to uh, help the guys to, to I guess, talk to or if they need to talk to somebody who's not not as, as connected as I was back then, but uh, just to, hey, I'm a, I'm a phone call. Away. I, I, I give them my phone calls to reach out for they give me a call whenever and whenever it's needed to just to reach out, no matter what it may be, because I was at one point in your shoes and I know what it's like and I know what the pressure is like. And the pressure is, is a little bit bigger now because we're on a national on that national level now and we have a lot of recognition and a lot of scouts and a lot of eyes on occasions now. So just try to relieve any uh pressure. I'm 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 there. So you mentioned that you're, you had mentioned, and we'll, we'll bring this up, that you're now a member of Lafayette. Do you use your, do you ever have to use that running back speed? Oh yeah, it's, it's, I'm in, I currently do warrants, so I'm always running and gunning and chasing. It kind of, uh, it reminds me of being on the playing field, but now I'm on the defensive side. So now I'm chasing <laughs> the guy that, uh, that that's running away from me. So it, 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 it's still fun. So, so with that said, though, Terrell, you know, you had all these thousand yard rushing every year you were there, only two career tackles. Did, did that prepare you for this police career? Being on defense, being, being on offense and having to, no matter if the ball was intercepted or a fumble and having to transition. So now I get to, the, it's like it, I envision in my head the guy that I'm chasing, he has the ball. So go to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So when the career ended, and what, what was the process after your career with the Cajuns? I know you spent a little time working with the NFL, but when was it that you realized, okay, maybe maybe it was time to try something else? Uh, it was it was the right after I finished and went through the the whole draft process, the pro day and draft, and I you know had a had to make a I guess a business decision as far as where I was going to go and what I was going to do and had an opportunity to go out and, and work for uh, New Orleans Saints. And it was the New Orleans Saints and it was the Bears. So it was, I can go and walk on with the New Orleans Saints and potentially maybe sign a contract or I had a contract with the Bears. Um, so I made a decision to go and buy up to Chicago, sign with them. And went through the whole uh, the preseason practices and getting banged up by uh, Erlacher in practice. Wasn't too fine, fond of the snow out there, uh, being out here in the south. And it was, it was different. All those guys was out there practicing in shorts. And I'm, I'm out here with long sleeves and the jacket and long, long head <laughs> and practicing. So I didn't like that too much. But it was just like I, I made a decision. It was like, when and how how long and how far will I go? And it it wasn't like a, a long term contract, so I I didn't want to um 
move around and move state to state and, and live that bouncing around uh, lifestyle. So I uh, made a call to my agent and I was like, I don't know if I, I you know, I, my goal in my head was all it was to make it there. Um, it was never to, and I always reflect back on it. It wasn't to, I guess, go further. I just wanted, I wanted to make it there. And I, I, I sat in the uh, lobby at uh, the Chicago Bears facility. You know, it was like, I said, I don't know. I, I, I think I had enough of playing football. I said, I've been playing football since mm-hmm. I was seven years old. And uh, body got beat, beat up pretty, you know, uh, pretty bad. So I was like, I don't know if I, I think I'm ready to just be a normal person and get out of the spotlight. So I didn't want to be in the spotlight anymore. I just wanted to live a normal life, being a normal guy, going to work. You know, a lot of people don't say that now, but I just wanted to just be a normal guy. Uh, so left, I left there and um, I kind of, as everybody does, it, 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 it reflects them back on them when they play ball, I guess. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be done with it. Uh, so I came back to last year and I was like, well, I miss football. I want to play. I want to continue to play. So uh, that's when I went to uh, Las Vegas and the UFL league that, that just started up. Uh-huh. Uh, so I got out there to Las Vegas and I was like, man, playing football and being in Vegas is not a good mix. <laughs> it was partying and that city doesn't shut down and i've you know being from laplace it's like it was new orleans was right there you know you know Orleans is a party you know area sure. but vegas doesn't shut down and i was like <laughs> no i i can't and we was practicing at unlv stadium i was like no i called my agent i said look man i said i'm done i said i'm i'm, I'm going back to lafayette i said i'm i'm you know i said I, i'm probably going to regret it and it's going to cycle in my head that I want to continue to play football. But I said, I'm going to make a, a, a business decision for myself. I said, no, nah, I, I want to be a normal person and use my talent to um, to help others uh, go forward in their career uh, with football. Was, was coaching ever in the cards for you? Or, or did you feel that you were you were only going to be a player? At that point in time, it was it was just being a player. Now, as I'm um, back in the area, and now I have three boys, uh, so now I it, it's 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 coaching. Uh, so I want to just help them out, um, my, my 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 boys, and see the direction they want to take. No matter what sport, I, it's it's crazy because now I'm I'm currently coaching their little league soccer. I never imagined myself coaching soccer. But every sport, every sport they played is for soccer, baseball, football. Uh, I'm coaching them, and I, I briefly coached. Uh, I think it's three years I coached at St. Leo, and that was that was amazing. That was fun. Uh, I love coaching. Uh, that it was uh, fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth grade. So I think as my as the kids as my kids grow older, I think me transitioning to a coaching role somewhere. I think that and 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 maybe transition possibly out of law enforcement and uh, using what I have to help somebody else, I think it, it, it may be in the future down the road. Tyrell, you entered the Sun Belt at some very formative times of the conference when it was, a fair, it was I guess it was 
pretty much a brand new conference. Mm -hmm. uh, when you exit your career, it was beginning to build up steam. But now the Sun Belt is, is rocking and rolling. It, it's expanded. It, it, it's got some marquee teams. How different was the Sun, is the Sun, was the Sun Belt then as it is compared today? I think the, the, the conference was, it was a tough conference back then, but we just didn't get the recognition that it deserved. And you had teams like uh, Florida Atlantic, Southern Miss, uh, Florida International that, that left the conference uh, to, to go to a different conference, but the Cajuns stuck with it. And I'm grateful that they stuck with it because now it's, it's one of the, you know, a, a, a toss about conference. Uh, it was tough back then. Like you had Troy, who was uh, going against SEC schools who had beat LSU um, during the, the, the tenure that whenever we was playing. So I think the conference always has been tough. You just you just got overlooked. Terrell, biggest memory of your playing days? There's so many. Um, being at Cajun Field, and I and I, I, I we played at some some great stadiums like. Texas and uh, Kansas State and LSU, but it's man, it's nothing like walking the Cajun walk and seeing the Cajun culture hmm. that's always been around. You seeing people on on the other Cajun walk that's smiling and laughing and having a good time, eating and cooking and listening to music, and uh, just being that Cajun feel walking down that tunnel. It, it's and I tell every guy that 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 currently. Um, there, or if I come across a, a, a high school kid that may be thinking about where they want to reach their uh, play their, their their college career, it's not all about how big the school is or how big the stadium is. Look at the culture and look at the people behind the program. And to me, that was my commitment to coming to. Uh, and playing out here in Lafayette, it was just the, the culture. It, it's it's unreal. And like I said, walking down that tunnel, and going on that field, it's it's it, that that that's that's my it. Tyrell, you are truly a legend of the Sun Belt. One of those guys that has really elevated the Sun Belt from fledgling football program to a full fledged conference. And we thank you for being on the show. Yes, sir. I thank y'all for having me and having some uh, a great talk and uh, bringing back some great memories. So, Jeremy, another Sunbelt legend there as we talk to Louisiana Lafayette running back Terrell Fenroy. Always great to hear the, the stories that made the Sunbelt the top G5 pro, uh, conference in the NCAA. And what a great guy. You know, he, he, he had his shot with the NFL, had a shot with the USFL and said, Hey, I, I want to go back to my hometown. Now he's serving the public as a police officer. I think that's just great. It is great and also scary that, uh, you know, crime is not going to pay because he will catch you. <laughs> I love how he said that he thought of criminals as football players with the football and he was out to get them. So, hey, if you're going to commit a crime in Lafayette, I, you should probably think twice because Tyrell will be after you. True story. Plugs, promos, parting shots. What you got, Jeremy? Uh, Hal Razor has a new story up uh, about Mike Bellotto and his recent success with the uh, Red Wolves basketball. It's time that we gave him credit where credit is due. There's still a lot of fans that are a little grousy about 
Mike Bellotto, and, and he, he could be a, he's, he's got rough edges, and some of those rough edges have, have, have sort of rubbed on some of the fans, but uh, I think we're finally seeing the program come together, and it's really important that we give him his due, so check it out on HowRazor.com. I'm good, actually. I, I, I got nothing to plug. I got no nothing. Problems. Nothing. Just uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at FunBeltPC, yes. Warhawk uh-huh. underscore report on Twitter, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, always dropping tidbits throughout the week as we get ready for another show next week. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.